right? Which I think is so important because I, I see, I, I believe <laughs> that our, our sole purpose here is to sing and lift high the name of a holy God. Just plain and simple. He deserves our praise because he's holy, right? Primary goal. The amazing thing about God is that as we come and we are in his presence, we get blessed too, right? And that's why sometimes we have tears and we have like, like that's the beautiful thing about our relationship with the holy God. But as I was practicing this week, I thought, man, this is an interesting song because it's almost kind of speaking like this is happening right now. And the thing is, is in a congregation this size, maybe, maybe you're not walking through like a deep, dark valley right now. So what do you do with a song like this? And I think it can be one of those things that maybe you can look back and see a time in your life that you did sing this song through the valley. And so this becomes your testimony and you kind of change the words in your head to like, yes, I did lift you high when the storm was raging, right? Or maybe in the same effort, you like, you look past and you're like, oh, that was a valley and I sure did not praise you through that, but I learned. And so this next one that's coming, I'm gonna sing a different tune, right? Or maybe you find yourself right in the middle of the valley and this is your song and you've gathered and you're gonna hear your body of Christ right here, singing these words too, and you will lift high his name in this valley, right? Or maybe you're like, man, life's actually been pretty awesome and I've got, nothing's happened. I have, no I have no reason for this song. Well, great. This is good practice. <laughs> so you get to sing this song over and over and over again and implant it so firmly in your mind so that then when the storms come, this is the song that you sing, right? I hope you find yourself somewhere in that and that as we sing, you will just continue to lift high his name. I count on one finger, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out.
tell you when we pray according to God's plans. <laughs> he just says, okay, all right. It's what he wants, not what we want.
Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for the truth of those words today. God, you don't ask that we come to you with flowery, wordy prayers that seem to contain all the details of our life. Lord, all we have to do is call on your name this morning. We could just simply say the name Jesus. And Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You see us better than we see ourselves. You know what we come into this room with. You know what we carry with us. And Lord, you and your love cover all of those things this morning. Father, we just want to continue to cry out your name this morning for all that we need, Lord, in happiness, in sadness, in joy, in sorrow, in frustration, in complete and total peace. We cry out the name Jesus this morning. Thank you for who you are to us. Thank you for what we have through you. Thank you for this place this morning and this time to worship, for the comfort and joy that come from the sounds of our family lifting voices to you. Father, may we continue to be surrounded by your presence today. Not because it's not here and we have to invite it, but Lord, because we are open to it. We are open to what you wanna to say to us today in this time and in this place. So continue to guide, continue to lead, continue to comfort. We want to hear from you today, Jesus. It's in your name we praise you and thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Carol Borland, if you don't know who I am. And I do serve on your church board. And as this morning, I've been asked to come and share about my Sunday school class that I attend. Pastor Josh was passing by the room and he observed um, all age ranges in the class, seeing teens in there, and he was curious what was going on. And he asked me to share with you, and so I agreed to do that this morning. The class I do attend is the Sunshine class. The teacher is Judy Toole, and we meet in room 102. As you exit Sanctuary, it's the first classroom on the left. And we meet at 9.15 each morning. So this morning when I was in first service, I could say, I can say anything because the class is meeting and not in the sanctuary. I can't say that this time. They're all sitting in, the, in here. <laughs> so I'll see what I need to say and not say. Now, I would say that, yes, indeed, the class ranges in age from age 12 up to 83. Doris came in to hear what I was saying, and she did give me permission to tell you that she was that age. And I have to say, as I observe, I don't see anyone being forced to come to the class. They all love God very much, and they are there to learn about Him and seek Him, and I think that's a good cause. Um, I would have to say that I learned something new this morning as I came in early. I was listening to Charles and Sandy, and when I said I was going to share, Charles and Sandy said, you know, we were the first members of this class, and we met up in the old sanctuary when it was still meeting upstairs, and our teacher was Wanda Case. And apparently their first Sunday in church, they came to the service, and everyone disappeared, and they didn't know where in the world they were going to classrooms. And Wanda said, come to ours, the adult class, and they've been there ever since. Um, recently in class, Charlie asked a good question, why? He said, why do we come to Sunday school? And the answer he gave was, he comes because he loves God with his whole heart, and he wants to keep learning more. And I thought, that is really a good cause, and I think we should keep that in mind for ourselves. Um, we are a class, when I think of the class, some of the key words that I think of are laughter. As I exited this morning and went in the classroom, they certainly were laughing. <laughs> Smiles, sunshine, they're caring, they're prayerful, 
they're very generous. I've had many instances over the years where a need had come up and they took a special offering and they donated that to someone. And they do not try to brag about that. It just very happens and it's just a very natural thing for this class. I find that it provides accountability. Um, it, you form a family unit when you're in a Sunday school class or a small group, and it's an opportunity to seek more of God. A favorite thing in my job when I worked at Nestle was um, in the later years, I was able to mentor the young people, and I thought when I retire, oh, Lord, how am I gonna continue with that? Well, I have to say, I now have an opportunity through my Sunday school class to be invited by a family. Um, Daphne's family invites me to all the piano recitals that she has, and I'm excited to be on that invitation list. And I have to tell Amy that you have a future keyboard player in my class. There are many perks with a Sunday school class. Um, certainly, um, I would encourage you, if you don't have a class, tap into one. Um, there are many offerings in our church, and I just would encourage you to become a part of a, a small group or a Sunday school class, and it's important that we seek God first and put him first, and then he will guide us. Thank you. I don't do this very often, so I hope you'll give me a little bit of wiggle room here, but as I sit in worship, Something feels off today. Something feels different. And I just want to just pause and pray over us, if I could. I don't know what's, what's going on or what, what's happening, but I just, I just want to pray that God has his way with us this morning. Can I do that? Uh, Father, our times with you are too important to take for granted or to not make them all that they should be. I don't know what's happening, Lord. I don't know what maybe the one or two or two dozen are dealing with today, but there's just something here this morning that's in the way. So Lord, I just want to pause and pray that you would step in. I reveal to us, Lord, anything in our hearts, in our minds, our attitudes, our spirits that maybe don't belong. Maybe there's some things we're dealing with that have nothing to do with worship or church that, that, have, that Satan's using to kind of wiggle his way in here, Lord, but not today. Convict us, Lord, if we need convicted. Comfort us if we need comforted. But Lord, I just pray that we would experience your presence here this morning. Whether it be preference or whether it be our, our own attitude or whether we've had a rough week, whatever it might be, Lord, would you just right now come and push those things that don't belong out of the way so that we, Lord, could experience what it's like to be with you. Speak to us. We want to hear from you. No matter what it is that's brought us here this morning, Lord, I pray that right now our expectation would be that we would hear from God. Lord, be glorified in it. For the one that maybe is struggling, that, that needs you, I, I, I pray for them today. I, I lift them up before you. Lord, each of us, we, we need that in some way this morning. So God, I just pray that we would hear you in a way that we need to hear you today. Hear what we need to hear from you today and be convicted or moved to do what it is you're asking us to do today. It's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. I just was just troubled as we're worshiping, and I don't like that. It's distracting. And, well, <laughs> here we go. Something's going on today. <laughs> Keyboards and tables and, whew, oh my. So, Stick around for second service. Maybe we'll get better. So, <laughs> oh wow, it's been good to be home for a week, and, and every day this week it's been good. I, I like saying that it's been 
been a long couple of months as we've gotten acclimated and transitioned and moved. Uh, but we're, we are glad to, to, to be here with you and uh, looking forward to all that God has for us. And we're going to continue our conversation about what God is stitching together. And I want to begin over these next several weeks of sharing a little bit more about ourselves, our family, and our story. Um, I enjoy the, these connection moments because you're already in the practice of sharing your stories with one another. That's a big deal. If we can't share our stories together here, how are we ever going to share our stories with a world who needs to hear our testimonies and what God is doing? So I love this practice and what we're doing with, with, with collect connection moments. And you have a story too. And maybe if God's speaking to you, maybe you would be willing to share that in some way at the right time uh, so that others could be encouraged by what God's doing in your lives. But, but our stories, sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're kind of sad and tragic. Sometimes they're interesting, and let's be honest, sometimes, well, we just go through boring moments of life. But how many of us, as you get older, you learn to appreciate the boring? Oh, you, you learn to, to like the quiet moments, and you welcome them when they come. So boring's not a bad thing. Uh, sometimes they're tragic. Sometimes they're seasons of hurt. Sometimes you go through times when you're wounded and, and you're in pain. But through it all as a faith family, we do it together. Uh, we, we were reminded, we're encouraged that we don't have to go through it alone. And so we share stories as a reminder that, hey, maybe you can learn from my mistakes or, or you can benefit from what God's done in my life. And together, as we share, um, God helps us grow closer to him. But part of my story is when I graduated high school in, in 1990, so it helps you kind of get an idea of how old I am. In 1990, I graduated high school. I went to a state college in Fairmont, West Virginia for a couple years. I was, I was an architecture major. I wanted to design houses and buildings, and I still to this day love going to, to downtowns and looking at, at old architecture and things of that nature. Uh, and was in school there for, for about two years, and uh, there was a season in my life where things weren't going so well um, personally, and, and I needed to change. And I began to pray about what that change would look like and started looking at other schools and eventually ended up at Mount Vernon. And I thank God for that. I had a pastor that saw what was going on in my life and encouraged me to go with him to visit Mount Vernon. I was there for about 20 minutes, and God said, this is where I want you to be. And so I transferred to Mount Vernon where I'd meet my wife, Amy, and we would eventually, once she figured out that I was really what she wanted, we got engaged, and it took her a little longer to figure out than it took me, but we got it right, and we got engaged, and in 1996, if you're doing the math, yes, I crammed my four-year degree into six years, I'm that good. <laughs> yeah, in 1996, I was a resident assistant in the freshman dorm. And I'd been a resident assistant for three years. My senior year, I thought, you know, I'm going to go be a resident assistant with, with, the other, with the freshman guys. This will be a nice ministry. And boy, what a mistake that was. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a funny story about that, too, I'll share at some point. But I was a resident assistant, and it was a early spring, a couple months away from graduation. Just a few more months behind that would be our, our wedding. We were looking forward to the, these next steps in our life. And it was, it was early in the morning, like 2 or 3 in the morning, and I'm, I'm in bed, I'm asleep, and all of a sudden I heard, very distinctly, audibly, to, I believe audibly, at least it was spiritually to me, I, I heard this voice say, I'm calling you into my ministry. It, it was so startling, I shot up in bed, looked around. It's a freshman dorm, so they're up all hours. I peeked out in the hallway, there's no one, silence. And I'm waited for the next line that never came. Well, this was very troubling to me because I, I had plans. I had things lined up. I'd already spent five and a half years in school. 
Well, I realized in that moment that to say yes would change everything. So I said no. And I've learned over the years that saying no also changes everything. See, that night, God extended to me his kaleo. We talked about that word last week, his kaleo, his calling for my life. That word kaleo is a Greek word, means to call, to name, to call by name, or to invite. And God was doing all of the above with me in that moment. He was calling me to, to serve him, to follow after him. He was calling me by name. Now, my name is Brian. He knows me as Brian. But he was calling me by name, and his name for me was pastor. He was inviting me to follow. I said, no. I said, Lord, I'll serve you in any other way you want me to serve you. I'll be, uh, I'll be the, the most dedicated lay person you, you would ever want. I will serve in whatever way you want me to in the local church, but not that. A little bit of backstory. I won't get into all the details of this. I'll save it for another day. But growing up through high school, uh, I, I had a stutter. I stuttered. And if you've ever had that, it's, it's, it's very humbling. It's, it's humiliating at times because in the most awkward moments I would start to stutter. It's embarrassing. I'm thinking, Lord, do you want me to be a pastor? Do you, do you know who you're talking to? What a stupid question for God, right? I can't speak in front of crowds. I'm going to be a scientist, a chemist. I'm going to work in a lab by myself so I don't have to talk to people. You want me to go do What? Long story short, it would be several years later when we finally would say yes. We accepted God's call, that God took care of my problem, my excuse. We'll share that story another day. But I said no. What I've learned is that at the moment when God calls you, that moment when I was called by God, once you are called, once you're named, you can never escape that calling. You can dress it up how you want to. You can pretend it would never happen. You can make it out to be something else that it's not. But it's as if God takes his branding iron, if you will, and he puts his stamp on you, his signature. You're his work of art. You're his creation. See, when you're called, never, he never lets you go. I'm so thankful for that. And whether you realize it or not, each one of us are called, or you will be called. God, God's preparing you. He's got something for you. And, and, and once you're called, boy, the closer you get to him, the more he just keeps reminding you of that. And at first it's frustrating, but eventually it becomes something beautiful and, and something helpful, something encouraging, something that helps you in those difficult moments of life. And I, I believe God is still calling people today. Young and old, all in between, God is still calling us. He's calling us as individuals, but he's also calling us corporately as a church to be who he has and is creating us to be right now in this community. I shared last week, we'll keep sharing it because this is a, a, an incredible opportunity. This, this church is now positioned in this incredible place for seasons such as this. We're one of the fastest growing counties per capita in the state of Ohio. We should be excited about that. I, I know building and, and houses popping up everywhere. I know sometimes there's some, there's some controversy with that. I understand all that. But regardless, there's people moving into our area, and most of them, many of them, do not know who Jesus is. What an opportunity that is for us. But if we're honest, for some, well, yeah, but we have too many new people in here. Things are going to look a little bit different, Pastor. Isn't that a good news? Why are we afraid of that? Let's get excited about that. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. If we're here for any other reason, we've gotten it mixed up. 
See, I'm believing right now in this moment, we are individually and corporately at this spiritual crossroads where our circumstances are meeting spiritual opportunity and God is calling, sharing his kaleo with those who are listening. And the question for us, as it was for me back in 1996, is will we say yes or will we say no? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Maybe you've got it memorized by heart by now. We've shared it the last few weeks together. To this you were called. Christ, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If you really don't know what it means to be a disciple or what God wants you to do, then just start by following in his steps. Do what he did. And watch what he does. Watch how he figures, helps you figure things out. My, my kids this week, as we've been unpacking boxes, we got to the box where all the shoes were, and, and my three-year-old started to put on other people's shoes. He put on my shoes. And as a parent, don't you get excited that first time your kid puts on your shoes, dads, and he's kind of stomping around in these big old shoes, and you kind of laugh at how cute it is, but it's also, ooh, wait a minute. Pretty powerful truth there. What am I leaving behind for him to follow? Are my shoes worthy of him stepping into? See, we're to follow into the steps, footsteps of Jesus. If you do that, things will, they may not always be perfect, but he'll never lead you in the wrong direction. Following in his steps. Understanding that we are the body of Christ. That's where we began back on, on June 19th together. We're the body of Christ. We, then we talked about how we are to bring God glory with our lives. Are we glory takers or glory givers? And then we're to love one another, to serve, to wash each other's feet, to follow, to be a disciple. Today we're going to talk about living a life of compassion, to care. Oh, I care, Pastor. We're caring people, maybe. We'll let God speak to us about that this morning. See, to be a disciple, to give God glory as a body of Christ, we are called to care for those who are in need. In a moment of honesty, <laughs> this is a message born out of my failure more than anything. A moment in my life where I got things wrong as a pastor. Well, caring wasn't my first response. I had a friend at the previous ministry. His name was Chuck. And Chuck was connected to a, a member of our church. He didn't really attend church very often, very rarely. And, but he would always be walking around town, sometimes riding his bike. He was always in need of something. Had some challenges, um, and many times he'd, he'd run into me or he'd see me, he'd wave me down, and he'd, he'd want to ride home. And well, it was always the same story. He always smelled bad. It was always one of those moments like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. God's really started to work on my heart. And one day I was leaving the office at church. It'd been a long day, and you know, I just lived about a mile away from the church and heading home for dinner. And, had kids waiting on me, and, and there was Chuck. I saw him coming. I think, oh, Lord, not today. And, and I got in my car, and, and I drove by, and, and, and I waved, and, and, and Chuck waved, but, but Chuck waved in a way that, like, hey, I need you to stop kind of wave, and I just like, hey, Chuck, and I kept on going. Drove to the house, walked inside, and I got started my way up the steps, and the spirit, just he just would not let, let go. And he says, what are you doing? And I just paused and said, yeah, you're right, Lord. And I shout out to my wife, says, I've, I've got to go, I'll, I'll be back. She's like, where are you going? You just got home. I went back out and I looked and I couldn't find him. 
drove all over trying to figure out where he might have gone. Because I figured where he was and where he was headed, I'd be able to track him down, and I never did. Honestly, it took me longer to look for him than it would have if I had just obeyed in the first place. <laughs> and, and I'm sure there's some, perhaps, even this morning, saying, oh, Pastor, that's okay. We, we've all done that. And we probably have. We know you really care, Pastor. We, we know your heart. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. It's always a big deal when God gives us an opportunity and we ignore it. It's always a big deal. It matters when he calls us and we don't answer. And here's the rub. It often matters less to the one we're helping than it does to the believer. It does, and it matters more for us than it does for the ones that we're trying to be compassionate towards. That's how God works sometimes. And I think too often we miss it. Now, thankfully, I'd have many other opportunities after that to give Chuck a ride home. And I've got to be honest with you, I didn't miss one after that. God has a way of changing us in, in those moments. It's a simple moment, right? Not a big deal, just a ride. How spiritual could that be, Pastor? When it comes to being obedient, it's very much an important issue, an important thing. And maybe for you, it's not about giving someone a ride, but it's some other area of your life that God's speaking to you about, and you've, you've been pushing it aside, saying no. If I can't say yes in that moment, how am I ever going to say yes when I have to leave a corporate job and trust God with my family's welfare and accept a position at a church and move? If he can't trust us with the little things, how can he ever trust us with the big things? This word compassion I shared earlier, it's a simple word, a familiar word, a word we're all, we all know. We, we, we kind of know what it means. But scripturally, it's a very unique word. And the word we're going to talk about today that we're going to translate as compassion only occurs 12 times in the New Testament. The entire New Testament, you only see it happen 12 times. And every time it's there, every time, it's either Jesus teaching or it's speaking about Jesus every time. The only example we see of compassion in Scripture that's conveyed to us always in the shadow of Jesus no other instance. And I think that's an important learning for us. And, and it's, it's a Greek word. I'm going to get this wrong. Splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. You've got to clear your throat. <clears> throat> Splagnizomai. And I love the meaning. To be moved with compassion, but more than that, to be moved as to one's bowels. Boy, what a conversation we're having today. We have keyboard problems. We have table problems. Well, we've got... We've got bowel problems. Well, yeah. To be moved so deeply inside of oneself that you've got to do something. We've all been there. You've, you've been moved. Boy, you have got to get up and get somewhere in a hurry, right? We, we've been there. We understand that. To be moved. Such a deep, rich word to feel a deep sympathy, to ache on the inside so much that you have to do something about it. An aching that literally gets us up out of our seat, compels us, it, it shakes us, it motivates us. And when we look at the word in Scripture, it's always, always followed by action. So Christ-like compassion always followed by doing something. 
So to say we care in our compassion and to drive on by is not to care at all. And it's not Christ-like. And we're going to get to how God's going to connect all these thoughts, so stay with me. But we, we see it in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when Jesus landed, he'd been in the boat. He gets, he gets across the boat, lands. He sees a large crowd. Scripture tells us he had compassion, splagnizomai, on them, and he then healed their sick. His compassion prompted him to do something. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. He had compassion on them. There were a couple, two blind men. He then, he saw them, had splagnizomai, and he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed after him. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. We see Jesus have compassion and feed the crowd, fed thousands. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. There's a widow. She's grieving. She's lost her son. She's now lonely and, and without hope in this culture and society. He has compassion and he raises her son back to life. True compassion, Christ-like compassion, and as a disciple, it's the only compassion that really matters, moves us. And here's the beauty, beautiful reality of our journey of faith, our discipleship process. As we walk in the dust, that Jesus' feet kicks up on us. Here's the beautiful thing. The closer I grow towards Christ, the more I start to care about the things he cares about. And that means People. The closer I walk to Christ, the more I look like him, the more I become like him. The more I see people the way that he sees them. I had a thought as we were worshiping this morning, do you see projects or do you see people? Sometimes I struggle with that. Christ always saw people. Now, adversely, the, the same is true. The further away from Christ I drift, the less I follow in his steps the more of my own paths that I begin to take. The less I care about what matters to him, the more that I care about what matters to me. And that's a very dangerous place for the Christian to find themselves. And we probably have that, unfortunately, that mindset and that heart creep in to almost every church every week. We come not focused on what matters to him, but sometimes focus on what matters to us. Does church look the way I want it to? Does it sound the way I want it to? Does pastor dress the way I want him to? I, we, we could make this whole big list of things. We've made into sacred cows things that were never meant to be sacred. We're going to get into that today because we could be here all afternoon. But do we come caring about what he cares about or more about what we care about? See, that the lens in which we view life, that it's going to impact how we view or see people, whether it's going to impact how we understand this idea of being compassionate. I'm going to share a story out of Luke chapter 10 today. It's a familiar story, one you, you, we all know if you've been in the church any length of time. If you're new to the church, it's, it's a great parable that Jesus teaches. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is approached by this religious leader, this lawyer, if you will, this legal expert and verse 25 says, and an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. <laughs> Careful. How often do we do that as well? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this isn't just some, someone from the street asking this question. This is a legal expert, an expert in the law asking Jesus this. So Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus knows the answer. He assumes this guy knows his preconceived answer. So he asks him, how do you read scripture? What do you think the law says? And, and the expert says, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting two Old Testament passages. Uh, he, he's quoting out of, of Deuteronomy and out of Leviticus. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Good job. That's the right answer. If you want to inherit eternal life, love God and love your neighbor. That's what it boils down to. It really is that simple. And here's where the story gets tricky. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. Now, since we're talking about bowels, in Scripture, there's a lot of big butts in the Bible. Okay? And every time you see it, you should pay attention. Because there's a point that's trying to be made that God's trying to get to us. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. He got the answer right. But Jesus knew there was still something missing in his life and in his practice and in the way that he was interpreting what he just quoted, what he thought that he knew. But he wanted to justify himself. This this word justify, boy, I'm trying not to weave too many messages into one this morning. Dikaiao. Dikaiao is the word justify. And it means to render righteous, to, to be to be thought of or to be shown as being right. Of course, that's really the root word for justice. You want to be found to be right. We want what is right to be done. Here's this word he wanted to justify himself. He wants others to know. He wants Jesus to say, you're right. Most of us kind of want the same thing from time to time, don't we? And the reality is, though, we'll talk a lot about being justified because as a pastor, one of my fears and struggles is that we become really good at justifying our positions, our interpretations, our ideas, preferences, and priorities. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole this morning, but I really struggle when people will begin a conversation with me. Pastor, don't you think that? Write that down. Don't ever talk to Pastor Brian and start a sentence with, don't you think that? Because you're not asking me what I think. What you're saying is, don't you agree with me when I say this? We're wanting to justify ourselves. We're we're becoming just as a legal expert. We want to justify ourselves. When you start this question, this dialogue, this conversation, don't you think that the carpet should be blue? You're not asking me what I really think. You're saying, don't I agree with you that the carpet should be blue? And I don't really think that, but blue would be fine. I don't think Jesus cares. Not a big deal. See, justifying... That that could be dangerous for us. So this expert, wanting to be proven right in front of others, in front of Jesus, then asks this next question. Who then, Jesus, is my neighbor? We would look at that as kind of a simple question, right? But it's really a pretty profound question because what the law did not specify clearly was really who was your neighbor. The law had, had, had a place in there for you to, to love uh, those that maybe weren't from Israel or from you that were kind of moved to the area. But, but there was a party, there was a group of people that were left out. The Samaritans weren't defined. And in the law, there was no real place for them to, to, where they were instructed to, to love the Samaritans. You know, those that were half Jewish, half Gentile. We didn't have to love them. So Jesus sees right through what this expert's trying to do. Remember, he's trying to test Jesus. He sees right through it. So Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Now that in itself would have gotten some attention because you don't travel by yourself from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17-mile journey through, through winding mountains and rocky cliffs, a lot of places for bad guys to hide. So right away, people are like, why would someone walk that way? But Jesus is telling this story. He wants to prove a point. He says, there was a man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away. They took his Apple watch and his phone and, and, and his wallet. And they left him half dead on the side of the road. And how, how can you be half dead? I'm, I'm not sure. Kind of, kind of a Monty Python thing there. I'm not dead yet. Shut up. You will be soon. You know. Some of you get that. Some of you probably don't. <laughs> it's all right. He's in bad shape. Kind of hopeless. He's on a stretch of road that people don't travel by themselves and they've taken all that he has and he's left there to die. Oh, but there's good news. There's two guys coming down the road. They're religious guys. They're going to do the right thing. They're experts. They understand to love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor. Here comes the priest. Oh, here comes the pastor. Just drives on by. See you, Chuck with me and comes a Levite now Levites were the ones who, who cared for the temple and helped prepare for the worship services well if the pastor doesn't have time then maybe the one maybe the associates will have time no they just pass on by not only do they pass by they move to the other side of the road can't get too close got stuff to do I'm not implying my staff does that I don't think they would do that wow story make more sense now but Jesus said, then comes a Samaritan. He didn't say then comes, verse 33, but a Samaritan. As if to say, the one person you would never expect to stop and help is coming. And if the priest and Levite passed right by, surely the Samaritan's not going to stop and help because they hated each other. The Jews considered Samaritans lower than dogs. I'm not exaggerating. So how do you think the Samaritans felt about the Jews? <laughs> Probably some reciprocation going on there. Here comes the Samaritan. And not only does he not pass by, but Scripture tells us when he saw him, he took splachnizomai on him. He had compassion. He took pity on him. He went to him, Scripture tells us. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, took him into an inn, and took care of him. Took care of him. Didn't just drop him off somewhere. Took care of him. Tended to his wounds. Probably fed him. Got him comfortable so that he could rest. Didn't move to the other side of the road. Went to him. What we don't know from Jesus' telling is if the Samaritan knows whether or not the injured man is a Jew or whether he's a Samaritan as well. It's really not important. It's a detail that's left out. The Samaritan detail is included in the story for the benefit of those listening. It's almost hyperbole. It's an added detail to kind of ruffle feathers on purpose. Sometimes we need our feathers ruffled. Jesus has to kind of get inside of us a little bit, stir things up so that we'll listen and pay attention. Regardless, what we see in this moment the compassion interrupts. That's what it does. It interrupts our schedules, interrupts our plans. Seldom do we wake up in the morning anticipating or looking for something that will disrupt our day. We have enough of that happens on its own, don't we? We don't have to ask for more of it to come. But it's important that we learn to recognize or to be sensitive to these divine 
interruptions, these God moments, these spiritual intersections, these ordained moments that God plans for us. Don't we pray for God's plans for our lives every day? We do that, don't we? We want God's will to be done in our lives every day. We pray for that. But when the interruptions come, what happens? You get frustrated. Oh, really, I don't have time for this. God says, this is what you asked me for. I mean, you don't have time for it. I'm giving you what you wanted. And we miss it because it gets in the way. It's not the way that we thought the day would go. And the truth be told, when we pray for God's will be done, we want his will to look like the way that we want it to look like. And for the day to go smooth and for the kids to be nice and quiet and sitting at the table when we get home, there's, hello, Father, what kind of day did you have? And they get, to get us our slippers, and they don't do that. What happens when you get home, Dad, after a long day? The kids are going crazy. The house is a mess. Dinner's not ready yet. What's going on? That's kind of what we life's like. We have enough interruptions. But God's like, I want to give you some moments. Don't miss them. See, compassion interrupts. But what might our lives look like if we would just slow down? See what or who God is putting into our paths. Coworker with cancer, a friend who loses their job, someone whose marriage is struggling, or a neighbor that's having difficulty with their kids, maybe someone who's lonely, discouraged, or hopeless. Can you see the possibilities? Compassion erupts. Compassion also can cost us. It costs us time and energy. It even can cost us financially. Verse 35, and I've got to hurry up here a little bit. The next day, the Samaritan, <laughs> the next day, he spent the night. So Samaritan takes out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He says, look after him. He said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. A denarii was about a day's wage for a day laborer. So he gives two days wages for a man. He doesn't even know that he found the side of the road. Jesus is using the story to kind of blow their minds, telling them what a neighbor really is. I want you to not miss this, Jesus says. It's going to cost you something. It's going to interrupt your life. It's already cost him bandages, oil, wine, and time. Now two days wages and probably more because when he comes back, he's going to finish up and, and pay the rest of what he owes. For an injured man who is half dead, this wasn't going to be like a one or two day recovery. It's going to be a big deal. This was an investment. 26 years ago, my wife and I, when we were married, got involved in the van ministry in Mount Vernon. We met a family of kids that we just loved. They were in our small group. They rode our van. They were rough, but we loved them. And for Christmas that year, we wanted to buy them new shoes. They needed shoes. Bad. And we talked to the ministry leaders about buying them shoes. And, and, and we, we felt like we were just married. We weren't making a lot of money. I remember I'd said no to God. We hadn't quite figured all that stuff out yet. But we were tithing. We were giving. We are faithful in that. And we had enough. We thought we could buy three pairs of shoes. We could comfortably afford that. And the director says, well, do you want to buy the whole family shoes? All the kids in the family? Yeah, all the kids in the family. So you know there's six of them. Didn't know that. Should have asked that first, Amy. No, I'm just kidding. You know, honestly, kind of like, okay, we'll do that. We bought six pairs of shoes, and now I wouldn't even blink an eye at doing that, but back then it was a big deal. And here's what I believe God did. I believe God changed our lives with one of those early compassionate opportunities. Isn't it funny how God makes that all work? How many times in my life since then has someone else figuratively or literally bought shoes for my eight kids? 
It's incredible how God connects all these dots. And I get excited when I start to see them in my life. And I hope that you see it too. Because he's doing the same thing in your life. See, compassion interrupts and compassion costs us. But compassion also changes lives. Lives of those you're helping as well as your own. And when Jesus is compassionate, lives are changed. Twelve times we see in the New Testament, it's rare, but compassion is powerful. Jesus interacts with those that we try to avoid, with the dirty, with the unclean, with the sinners, with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors, with the Samaritans, even the Pharisees. He has time for children, time for widows, time for fishermen. He sees people beyond their needs, and he moves to them. He never just drives on by. Matthew and Mark, some of their accounts overlap in their gospel stories. But in Luke, each time, that Luke, each time Luke uses splagnizomai, it's unique. Luke chapter 7, we already talked about the widow's son raising the life. In Luke chapter 10, we just read about the good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 15, we see it again, the story of the prodigal son. When the father sees his son coming back, he has splagnizomai, runs to him. We see three expressions, healing, helping, saving. It's a deep, incredible word that means so much to us, so much more than I think we realize. And it manifests itself differently in the different parts of the body of Christ. Each one of us, depending on what part we are, are going to be compassionate in different ways. That's what makes the church beautiful. Compassion is the fuel behind these God-glorifying moments in our day-to-day lives. Compassion is the link between loving and serving one another. Compassion gives evidence to our discipleship. It shows who it is that we're truly following. So what do you see when you look at the crowds? Do you see grieving, hungry, hurting, lonely, discouraged, lost? Do you see interruptions or opportunity? The question that the legal expert asks, I ask to you. A little bit differently, though. Who is your neighbor? Don't miss opportunities that God might have for you, for us to care for others. Or opportunities for God to care for us. He might be meeting a need in our life that we haven't even realized yet when he asks us to help someone else. Caring draws us closer to Christ. I think that's pretty obvious. But it also increases our capacity to care. As we grow closer to him, what matters to him matters to us. We are. Church, we are going to be people who care. We're going to be a caring church. We're going to meet needs. It might even get uncomfortable, but we're going to do it. We're going to look for the spiritual intersections, for those interruptions that God has for us. We're going to be compassionate. I look forward to becoming known in this community for how radically we care about others. People are going to pay attention when they see that. Now, the story Jesus told was a parable, but I can't help but wonder how many of us would like to have met the Samaritan who would do something like that. Well, maybe you already have. Maybe they're sitting beside you. Maybe they're behind you because that can become us. As a part of a faith community, I pray that this city that we live in, this town on the surrounding area will quickly know what it is that matters to us. Who it is that matters to us. So they won't be able to question whether or not we care. They won't have to ask who is our neighbor. It'll be pretty obvious. So God's calling. Will you say yes? Or will you say no? He's not going to let go, and I'm thankful that he doesn't. 
And I pray today that as we finish up our time this morning, as we go, we won't just drive on by, but we'll look for opportunities to make a difference in whoever God would bring across our paths. Would you stand with me this morning? As we close in prayer, I, really the, the response to this is simply to go and do, to be, to look for, to not avoid, to get excited when you see it. Go wait till pastor hears this. I would love to hear those stories. Compassion. Splagnizomai. Being moved deep within us. It's a beautiful thing. Father, we love you. We sing it, we say it. I think, Lord, most of us believe it and live it. But Lord, maybe there's some room for, for you to take us a little bit deeper this morning. Maybe there's an opportunity, God, for you to show us maybe what we've been doing as opposed to what you'd have us do. And I pray, Lord, we be reminded of those seasons in our life when someone else was compassionate towards us, stepped into our lives and met a need that we, maybe we didn't even know we had or, or met it in such a profound and overwhelming way, Lord, that it just changed us. As we go about your work this week, help us to see the opportunities you have. I don't believe, Lord, this message is just a coincidence. There, there's something out there for those that will look that will watch and pay attention. And God, I pray today that we will have story after story these coming days about these opportunities you have, those spiritual intersections. Help us not to miss it. Help us, Lord, to respond as you would respond, to go to them, not to move to the other side of the road, not to wave as we drive by, Lord, whatever it might look like in our lives, but to go to them, to love, to share. Lord, today I pray you'd interrupt us. Help us, Lord, in the moments come, be willing to pay the price that it might cost us so that, Lord, we wouldn't miss the change that you have for us. Father, be glorified, I pray, in and through your people. Add to our story. Keep, Lord, giving us new connection moments. God, be glorified, I pray. May we not have a but moment in our life. May we not look to test you, Lord, but rather, God, to give you glory. All that we do, all that we say, Lord, may it be yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Go, look for someone, be compassionate, change your life. Have a great day.